This is Holy Week. As we head into the Triduum, Bishop Caggiano is going to reflect today on the seven last words of Christ. These, of course, are the seven things he said while he was on the cross. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM or on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Morning, Excellency. Are you ready for the Holy Days? I hope. Oh, my gosh. It's, you said it last week. I mean, Lent flew by. I can't believe this is already Holy Week. It's unbelievable. It really yeah. is unbelievable. But it's such a beautiful time of the year. Yes. And... And it's there's the convergence also of Passover, because Passover right. I believe is um, Good Friday. Oh wow! So, so it's it's yeah. It's also yep. a time when I hope and pray people can take a step back from their activities and the busyness of life, and just sit with the mystery of what's unfolding here. Right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, and. We've had um, a few Holy Weeks now with this show, and mm-hmm. um, you always give us such great uh, reflections as we head into the Triduum. Um, but we've never done one that was focused specifically on the seven last words of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be awesome if, if you could kind of just walk us through those. Of course, they're not words, right? They're seven last phrases. <laughs> Sentences. Yes. Mm-hmm. But... Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that would be great because they're there in the Gospels for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, and mm-hmm. I just feel like, I know for myself, sometimes I just kind of blow by them. And mm-hmm. we really shouldn't because these are the last seven things that Jesus said. Right. Right. Well, we have to start with, with the opening premise. The opening premise is that the focus of Holy Week is the cross. And it may sound strange to say that, but if you consider that if there had not been a cross, if there had not been a crucifixion, there wouldn't be no resurrection. So it's a natural consequence, of course, the resurrection is the triumph over sin and death, but that is the other half of the equation. And as we've said many times, it's very easy to go to the end of the equation, but you you have to add it up to get to the full meaning of what the resurrection is. So whether it's Palm Sunday, we spoke about that last time, all right, about the mistaken expectations of people, um, which kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back, that the Lord came to Jerusalem not as a conquering victor, but he came as a shepherd of forgiveness and mercy. And with all of the crowd, 
you know, the last week when we heard the Gospels, all of the crowds beginning to turn more and more against the Lord in his claim that I am, making it clear he made himself equal to Yahweh, who revealed yes. himself to Moses as I am, and that he challenged them that they were liars because they did not follow the spirit of the covenant and what the truth really was asking of them. And then when he comes in, so, so in that ferment that was Jerusalem at the time when you had different schools of thought, he basically successfully offended all of them. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> because the last one were with the zealots and the ones that wanted a military victory, and he would not give them that either. Right. So everything moves towards the Last Supper, which is the sacramentalization of what was to happen the next day, which was Calvary, which was the free gift of Christ, which would then, in that, in that act of love, unleash the resurrection, which is the conquering over sin and death. So yes. the focal point is the cross. So to your point, Steve, what happened there? What was said there um, is of paramount importance in the life of faith. And there's no right or wrong here. You know, there's lots of books written on the seven last word. I mean, Fulton Sheen has a whole series of homilies that are beautiful. And I think they're on YouTube, actually, if I'm not mistaken. If, if someone wanted, he has books written. And lots of, oh, the saints have written books, right? Yes. Throughout the century. So we are now just at the, at the cusp, right? So you have Holy Thursday, which is tomorrow. And we're beginning this mystery. So I think it would be tremendous, in addition to our conversation, if, if our listeners and you and I found either a reflection in writing or perhaps a sermon on YouTube and use that as our meditation, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so second point is you're right. There are not, they're not words. Seven last words, but the word is an, is an expression or a statement. Okay, so now, quiz time. How many can you name? I can name, uh, well, let's see. So, uh, Father, forgive them. They know not mm -hmm. what they do. Mm -hmm. um, he says to uh, the thief, today you will be with me in heaven. Mm -hmm. He says, um, I thirst. Mm -hmm. He says, woman, behold your son, uh, and mm -hmm. then behold your mother. Behold your mother. Mm -hmm. um, he says, uh, so you've passed because you got you got the majority. I got more than so half. So far you got you, you passed. <laughs> Keep going. You're going for an um, A plus. Keep going. Okay. Three more. Uh, yeah, it is finished. Mm -hmm. I, I I think I skipped one. It is finished. And he says, um, Father, in your hands I commend yes. my spirit. Oh yes. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. Psalm twenty two which is in many ways the one that is most misunderstood, right? Yes. Okay, so we could go through each of them. We could do them in order, however you wish. We yeah. can start with, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay. Um, who is he addressing it to? He, to the Father, who, God the Father. Right, and who is he referring to? Oh, who's the they know not what they do? Uh, I guess most immediately it would have been um, the Jews who 
sent them there and the Romans who were right. actually carrying it out. Right. And there are lessons in both. I absolutely agree. Because for the religious authorities, all right, it was their, their closed-mindedness, their inability to accept God for who God was rather than the God they wanted all right, or were accustomed to or fit their worldview. So there was a stubbornness of heart and a blindness of heart and a self-righteousness in some sense that prevented them from actually being disposed and wondering whether or not God could surprise them and not abolish the law, but force them to look to the spirit of the law, which is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't come as a rebel to say, we're taking all these rules and throwing them out the window, right? He said right. that clearly the Lord. He's saying it's the spirit behind them because you do everything objectively right and not have your heart converted. Yes. Right? Well, your spirit is not molded into the spirit that should animate those actions. So, so how many times are you and I guilty of that? And the second is to the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers were following their orders. How many times have we heard, whether it's in warfare or whether it's in our cities or whether it's in, in civil authority, that, that a person says, I should not be held accountable because I was just simply doing what I was told. Because it was Pontius Pilate that decreed his death. These soldiers were carrying it out. So they did not know what they were doing. Well, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to crucify people. They did that very well. They right. did that all the time. Right? Yes. Right? I'm sure they may have, been, right after Jesus had died and he was taken out on the cross, I wonder if there was anyone else who immediately was crucified using the same wood. Right. Imagine the, 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 the mystery of that. Okay, but, but they did not know their own culpability hiding behind just the rules of, I'm going to say, uh, military engagement. It's insufficient to say, I am ordering, I'm following orders, and absolve yourself of the consequence of what you do. So were they... Were they indoctrinated? Were they brainwashed? Whether they were just mindless, maybe they never gave any thought, maybe it was never crossed their mind, that they could actually step aside from that order and not do it because it was unjust. Right? So there was an ignorance there, perhaps. There was a blindness there, perhaps. Maybe they were, and, and a sinfulness there, hiding behind somebody else. But sometimes we do that, right? So I did something wrong. Well, I'm going to blame this one because he aggravated this one because he gave me a bad example. This one because I wasn't thinking it through because, you know, I was distracted or everybody else does it. Or, well, but all of that is meaningless. <laughs> you mm -hmm. did it. Yes. And it mitigates certainly the circumstance. But so that, that plea from the Lord Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, is recognizing the fact that both the religious authorities and the civil authorities, um, they did what they did, and both of them were in some sense, okay, blinded 
And the real issue that they have to go from blindness to sight is to recognize their stubbornness of heart. And they may not even have known that, the religious authorities or the, the civil, these soldiers. Right? But one does convert, remember? Yes. It's the, yeah. um, I forget what tradition tells us his name is. Is it Longinus? Longinus. Okay. And now in confirmation, he's become popular. Oh, Longinus wow. is a name. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. But he's the one who says, my Lord and my God. Yes. So finally, he knows what he's doing at that point, right? Only yes. after the death of Jesus. Yeah. Right. Okay. But at least he got it. Better late than never. Right. Right. The second word, today you will be with me in paradise, is a paradox in some sense. Because, right, it's fascinating to me. So we talk about the two thieves, remember? So yes. the one thief is mocking Jesus, and the thief, uh, whatever he was guilty of, it could have been thievery, it could have been worse, and the one who rebukes the other, and he says, aren't you afraid? I mean, th this man is innocent. We're the ones who are guilty. We deserve it. He does not deserve it. And what does Jesus say to him? This day you will be with me in paradise. This is the paradox. It's interesting. Okay. The good thief never asks for forgiveness of his sins, does he? Oh, yeah. And it is an extraordinary thing to say that he goes to paradise. No purgatory, to paradise. Interesting. Hmm. But of course, the Lord could read hearts. Of course, he's God, amen. Yes. So in that case, he must have read the good thief's heart, that he was in fact sorry for all his sins at this moment when he was being held truly accountable and was able through that to recognize who Jesus was. And therefore, even though he didn't ask for forgiveness in words, he didn't make a contrition per se, formally in words, the Lord knew all that and said, of course, you will be with me in paradise, which is the equivalent of also saying, therefore, your sins are forgiven. Right. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's, I wonder what he was guilty of. He may have had a life of crime. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Right? For him, and too, better late than never. <laughs> without a doubt. But it also speaks to the power of conversion, doesn't it? Yes. That there could be moments of profound conversion. And for this man, who was guilty of whatever he was guilty besides thievery, it came in that moment when he looked upon Jesus and his eyes were opened. And perhaps what people claim will happen when we die, that is our entire life comes before us, literally flashes before us. When we are in the mystery of death, which means at that point you have summed up your life, you have made all your decisions, all right? He had the grace to do it before he died. So it was a remarkable gift that was given to him by the Lord. 
So my question is, I've thought about this many a, a, a meditation. What do you think the, the other one was thinking? I mean, it just seems like the other one had just closed his heart so definitively. Solidly. Yes. Solidly. Right. That he couldn't right. even see. You know, we talk often about the movie The Passion of the Christ. And mm -hmm. throughout that movie, when people look into Jesus' eyes and he looks back at them, and I'm thinking of this mm -hmm. because you said his eyes, the other thief's eyes were opened. When they make eye contact with Jesus in the movie, their hearts mm -hmm. are changed mm -hmm. all along the way. Mm -hmm. And so the other thief just must never have even looked to see who was next mm -hmm. to him, I guess. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. in the end, it is, again, it's part of the, the, the great mystery of, of an act of conversion. Something has to die before it can be reborn. The stance of prayer, the catechism teaches us, is humility. Y you have to admit, right, in the, in, in the moment of contrition, that not only did you do something wrong, but that you really did harm. And that you can't undo it. There's like almost a surrender to say, Lord, I just, I'm sorry. And he could not bring himself to do that because perhaps his anger prevented him. He couldn't let go. He couldn't open up the wound before Jesus. But the other did. So when we're angry, when we're betrayed, what do we do with it? Do we hold on to it? Do we let it fester like a wound? Or do we just go before the Lord, open the wound and say, I, I can't do this without you. Yeah. And then we're healed. Yeah. Right? You know, the interesting thing is the first two of the seven sayings only appear in St. Luke's Gospel. And St. Luke is the, is the evangelist that very much emphasizes right, the compassion of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus, right, and the poor, right? So in that sense, even in his, his agony and death, the, the Lord is not not consumed or, or, or interested in his suffering, per se. It's what's around him. So it's the suffering of the soldiers and the religious authorities, even though they don't even realize they're suffering, or the suffering of the thief who's going to converge you. It's never about him. Never, even in that moment, it's not about him. Is that, it's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's even at that hour... He's still working and offering salvation to right. people who, ah, oh, it's unbelievable. The love right. <laughs> that he right. has. Right. And I think the hardest thing he did in his entire passion was the third. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. And why do I say that? Why do I say that is because, well, again, this is, this is a pious reflection. This is not something where a person could say, all right, Kajiano, yeah, this is right, this, this is wrong. This is the fruit of my prayer. Right? But do you think it's fair to, to say that of all the possessions the Lord had in this human life, there was no greater possession than his mother? Yeah. Is that a fair statement, you think? Yes, definitely. Right. N not simply because she was 
his handmaid and his mother, right? Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Let it be done to me according to thy word. All right? Well, her son was her Lord. And yet was her mother, was his mother. And he, and the purity of the heart, the, the, the compassion and the intuition between them must have been a remarkable thing to see. Almost like looking at each other, they knew. You know, like that famous quote-unquote rebuke in Cana, which really was not a rebuke at all. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Because that was a traditional way you would speak to your mother. So it's not like in our parlance, calling your mother woman. <laughs> right. No, no, no. That was common. That was, that was ordinary. What does this have to do with me? But, 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 but that, I think, was more for the, for the people around. But they knew, both knew that into it. So to hand her over to John in the moment of her greatest sorrow. Okay, so, all right. Your mom, your dad, my mom, my dad. Some have gone to the Lord. Your dad is still alive. In a moment where they're in such profound suffering, you, I, who love them, are unable to console them because your very suffering is the cause of their pain. And so you hand her over to someone to care for her and ultimately in the consolation, right, that would come, must have been a great surrender next to the surrender of his spirit, which will, is the last, it, would, it must have been a great surrender to hand this great gift to a creature when you yourself are God made man. And you're choosing, all right, to surrender that emptying so that it's the creature who will console, not you. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, in, 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 our, in our way of, of theologically understanding it, Handing Our Lady on to John is handing Our Lady on to the whole church. So it's the gift to all of us. Yes. She becomes our mother at that moment, all of us, our mother, even though she did not bear us like she did the Lord. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, is there something also that um, we should take from this about uh, maybe John's relationship with Jesus, that he's the one that... Jesus entrusted her to? Is there anything that we should take from that or, or not really? Okay. It's really focused on... Uh, well, I think he was the only one who remained faithful. <laughs> right. Everybody else bolted. Yeah. But I said it at the Young Catholic Professionals Gathering. There's a little commercial. <laughs> the Young Catholic Professionals Gathering we had in Stanford, which was tremendous. It was phenomenal. There were over a hundred young adults there. Just this phenomenal beginning. Okay, what I said to them is what I'm going to say now. Don't you think it's interesting? Of the 12 apostles, it was the youngest. One could say it was the young adult who didn't fail. Mm. Everybody else fell flat on their face. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, the Lord letting go it was the one he trusted the most. And tradition holds that John did, did take care of Our Lady, right? 
um, I believe was in Ephesus, right? Yes. So, um, how much of a suffering is it when the condition of your life causes a pain for someone you love and you can't take the pain away? The last person our Lord wanted to suffer was his mother. But she did. Yeah. And that was part of his suffering, right? So I think in the end, we want to shout out to the faithful young adults because with one of them that the Lord gave this great gift, who's our yeah. Lord. Right, okay. <laughs> All right, I think it's probably a good time to take a break and we'll do the other four on the other side of the break, Excellency. Mm -hmm. um, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network and uh, we're in the middle of Holy Week and we're talking about the seven last words of Christ and we'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, His Excellency has gone through the first three of the seven last words of Christ uh, from the cross. And now we're going to take a look at the, yep. the final yep. four. And just as interesting, the um, behold your son, behold your mother, it, that is only in the Gospel of John. Interesting. Ah. Beca because the gift was given to John. Yes. Just, just as a side note. Now, number four is the one that has the most, the most uh, a commentary, discussion. Eli, Eli, Lamak Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the beginning of Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 23 is the Good Shepherd, right? So Psalm 22. And when I was a little boy, I remember growing up, this always troubled me because it, at first glance, it gives the appearance that the Lord is uh, lamenting that his father has abandoned him, that in effect, that he, he's doubting. It almost sounds as if at the very end, he's in this darkness that he's doubting. 
right? Doesn't it give yes. you that appearance? Yes. Yeah, that right. line does. Yes, of course. Right. And, and that's the point. The point is, it's a line. It has a context. And it was only until I went actually to, uh, to seminary that it finally, did I appreciate the larger context of Psalm 22 is not one of abandonment. It's one in the end of a reassurance that God does not in fact abandon you, right? Yes. And, and if you don't see it in the full context, so in a sense, this is what I imagine in my religious imagination. Jesus would have known the Psalms right. by memory. It was the heart of his prayer. So he may have said it out loud and under his breath, pray the whole Psalm. Yes. Or be able to do it in such a way even in his heart because he was, he was proclaiming the reassurance that his father was there to the end. So it's the complete opposite of taking the line out of context, right? Yes. And, right. and it's likely that the, the, the Jewish people who were there present also understood what he was doing? Uh, to the extent that they did their catechism, if they knew their faith. Right. But just as is true now, was true then, you know, there are people who kind of went through the, kind of like the... the um, the pivotal moments, but didn't really learn their faith. Yeah. So who knows? It could have been multiple reactions among the people, right? Did they not say he's calling out for Elijah? Right. But in the end, in the context of what we're talking about, is it's 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 it gives an, an erroneous impression for one who does not understand the faith proclaimed in Psalm 22. Yeah. So yeah. there may have been Jews who did not know Psalm 22 to any great extent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad idea for our listeners to go and, and take a look at the whole Psalm. Like you said. Without a doubt. Yeah. In the middle, he's taking courage. And at the end, it's really full of praise and, and almost Absolutely. triumph. Yeah. That may be a tremendous, see, now that's an excellent point, Steve. That could be a tremendous way to meditate on Good Friday. So if everyone who's listening finds their time to come to church, I would recommend you come to the service of the Passion, but also come when there is no service, when you sit in silence before the cross and pray over Psalm 22, because those are the words of the Lord. Yeah. And see how you don't find yourself in that psalm when you had faced in your life, my life, suffering and pain and abandonment, that sense of people betraying us. And can we make those words ours that we can make at a time also of praise and trust in God, that he will never abandon us, right? He will never betray us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then we move on to number five. And again, so that word is in Matthew and Mark. And what's interesting is, of course, with Matthew, with this emphasis on, on the Jewish context, his readers would have understood the, the reference to Psalm 22. Okay, then number five was, was central to the life of blessed and now St. Teresa of Calcutta. I thirst. Now, What's the context? 
the context was that the, the Romans, as cruel as they were, did have certain practices to try to alleviate the pain of crucifixion. One of them, as horrible as it sounds, would be to break the kneecaps of those who were crucified so that their death would be sped up dramatically since you can no longer pick yourself up. The, another was to give um, a narcotic through some other medium, usually wine or vinegar, so that the person would be drugged and have his pain or her pain deadened. Yeah. So it's interesting, when Jesus says, I thirst, they immediately say, oh, he wants what we can give him, some medication to deaden the pain um, as a somewhat act of mercy. When that was not the Lord at all. Again, he was giving them a new context, which they did not understand. That's why he did not take it, because he didn't want it. That wasn't the point of it. He wasn't looking to deaden his pain. He already embraced it. He was looking to thirst for their faith. <laughs> yes. Their love. And he died without it for most who were standing there. Not all, but most who were standing there. And to thirst for theirs, right, is also then, right, so he was thirsting for their faith and love. He was trying to elicit to them that decision or stance of salvation to open their eyes to what was going on. I thirst for you to see what's being offered to you. But then we also thirst to have that communion with God. And they did not see it, but we as followers of the Lord, that is what we want. Right? So who makes this absolutely central to her religious imagination is Teresa of Calcutta, because there's not a, there's not a chapel in a convent of the Missionaries of Charity every, anywhere on earth where this is not inscribed on the wall. I thirst. Mm. Ah. Mm -hmm. Because it would, in, 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 in mother's religious stance, okay, her response to the thirst of Jesus was to be his compassion in the world. He responded to the offer of Christ's gift on the cross to her by being the vehicle it could be offered to others. So in that moment of conversion she had on the train in 1946, it was these words that moved her from the religious congregation where she was to found the missionaries of? Charity. Charity. So she became the vehicle of Christ's thirst in the world. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And the Romans did not get it. They just did not get it. They did not get it. And, and then there's number six. Any thoughts about that before we move on? Steve? No, no, it, not at all. Just, yeah, it's when you put it in that context with Mother Teresa and Jesus' thirst for... The love of each love. of us. Uh, it's, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm just soaking again, it in. <laughs> it's only in St. John's Gospel. As it, the, Latin, the sixth is only in St. John's Gospel. It is finished. 
what is finished? What is finished? What do you think? What is the it referring to? Yeah, his his mission, his his reason for coming. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because something is ending and something's beginning. So one could say the mission of Jesus endures, in fact, takes on new life precisely in his death. So it's not his ministry and it's not his mission. Hmm. So what's the it that's finished? It's his human, it's the, it's the portion of that ministry and mission that involves his human life on earth. That has come to an end. And now it is up for us receiving the spiritual graces that come from his death and resurrection to continue his ministry in the glory of Christ that comes in Easter. So the phase of the earthly. Now, I sometimes wonder to myself, a lot of things I wonder to myself. Jesus was, if the earth is four and a half billion years old, if humanity is on earth for how many years? Um, only those who lived in those 33 years of Jesus' earthly life had the unique privilege of being able to look upon the Savior with their eyes in this world, as we will all be able to do it with our eyes in the world to come. Those 33 years, a privileged, unique piece of, of the history of creation. On the cross, that is what ended. That is what is finished. So we ask ourselves, those who did see him, what difference did it make to them? That is a great mystery. A great mystery to me is in this privileged moment, and these people, whoever they were, the shopkeepers, the, the, the disciples, the curious, the inquirers, the people that he lived with in his, in his home village in Jerusalem, whoever they were, all these people alive, among all the people ever lit to live, they had a unique privilege you and I do not have. What did they do with it? Obviously, from the cross, it took his death to help them to understand that which is finished is the beginning of something even greater. Because that which the Lord would have offered for those individuals in history is now being offered to every person of every age in his death and resurrection. So that's where I draw hope. Yes. Because I would love to have been alive. I mean, could you imagine walking down the road and who's coming towards you is Jesus in his human life? Could you imagine what that would look like? What that would feel? I mean, really, honestly, have you ever thought of that? <laughs> you, you could almost... Uh understand why Zacchaeus would climb a tree in order to see him. 
I mean, yeah. do anything. Embarrassing, it doesn't matter because, yeah. Right, right. And then in my, in my more honest moments, I say to myself, if I had been alive, would I have been part of the crowd? Would my theological education, my catechetical education, you know, the, the, the custom of the time, the expectations of my family, would I have been just part of the crowd? And I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that would not have been the case. But it's a question everybody has to ask themselves. We actually, ironically, have the greater advantage than the ones who were alive with Jesus. Because we, we, we have the resurrection. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? We have yeah. the gift of faith, hope, and charity given to us in baptism. They did not. Right. So on one hand, they had a great privilege. On the other hand, we have a great privilege too. Yeah. That, so that's why I draw consolation from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 never, I guess I never thought about that. The, 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 the people who saw him in real life with their eyes there at that time almost have more responsibility because they saw him although like you said we have the holy spirit now so, so and they did not yeah so that's when jesus says so much about if you don't believe me in me believe in the works mm -hmm. that my father's given me because it was almost like the inbreaking of the kingdom with, with such great power in word, in witness, in action, in sign, in miracle, that w without the gift of the Holy Spirit that would come through Jesus's death and resurrection, it was, uh, it was almost, if I may put it this way, it, it was almost a higher stake to believe, like to just say, yeah, yes. There had to be an openness of heart, almost in a natural sense to be able to say yes. But for us, we have AIDS they did not have. Yeah. So we're on the other side of it is finished because for us, it is beginning mm. <laughs> that they did not have. Right. So they had advantages and we have advantages. <laughs> that gives me consolation. And then, of course, the last word is, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Right? And um, the kenosis, the emptying, is complete so Jesus enters into the world through the womb of the Virgin and lays aside all the privilege and power that is his by right because he is God freely in an act of cosmic dimensions and he enters into that and it's almost as if that kenosis, that emptying, gave the world the possibility of recognizing it, and it didn't. And so there was a gradual kenosis through his ministry, more and more emptying and emptying. I've mentioned this before. One of the most beautiful scenes in all of the New Testament, in my mind, is when Jesus looks upon Jerusalem and cries. He is not crying for himself. He's crying for them. And then Good Friday almost, one could say, completes that kenosis because then even his human spirit is given over. There is nothing left, and yet there's everything. 
And that's the paradox of divine love. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like, Excellency, and I always present these things uh, fully willing to be told, no, Steve, you're wrong, so <laughs> feel free. Never, but, never, <laughs> once. <laughs> Um, I always feel like the last two, it is finished and Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. These are almost like um, also to me an indication that Jesus is still in control, even in these final moments of his human life, right? The crucifixion was not imposed upon him. He chose it and he accepted it. He said, uh, um, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Um mm -hmm. And well, any time, at any moment in those three hours, Jesus could have simply walked off the cross. If he had chosen, all of his wounds would have been healed instantly. Yeah. He could have come off that cross, and there would have been an earthquake of historic proportions because the people around him would have had no idea, no response. Yeah. Beyond shock, he could have called armies of angels. The Romans would have no idea what hit them. Yeah. But the point is, would that have fostered love? Would that have fostered the love, the, the free commitment that the Lord's asking? Or would they have been cowered by the fear or the, the majesty or the power and, and, and fallen into an, an acceptance of Christ that was not one based in love? Yeah. So you're right. In the end, to the last moment of his last breath, he was totally in control because he could have stopped it any time along the way and chose not to. You know, um, my uh, my 15 year old son, um, who you may or may not have met the other night, you saw a lot of people, but he was talking. I, I met your daughter. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes, my my 15 door. year old son was there too. Um, mm -hmm. So but he was running around doing stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it was just maybe a couple weeks ago. He said, I forget what we were talking about, but I remember what he said. He we were he was talking about the crucifixion, mm -hmm. and how and. He's like, yeah, I know Jesus did that for everybody in all times. He said, but the worst part, he said, if that was me up there on the cross and I'm God, he said, the worst part would have been looking down and seeing the soldiers and the people who, you know, condemned him to there. And mm -hmm. he said, <laughs> he's 15 and he's a boy. And he said, um, if it was me, I would have just liked to wipe those guys out and still done it for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why your son and I are not God. <laughs> yes, right. right. Well, how can you love people who hurt you, who scourge you, who beat you, who spit on you, who place a, a crown of thorns and make sure that it cuts through every layer of skin until it digs into your skull. How do you love people like that? How do you love people like who lie through their teeth to civil authorities? Or civil authorities who are just interested in saving their own skin and they sacrifice you for their political ambitions? 
a.k.a. Pontius Pilate. Yeah. Or the soldiers who will hide behind, well, it's my orders, so what am I supposed to do? When they recognize, I mean, if they didn't realize that Jesus was innocent, then they are really stupid. <laughs> yeah. So how do you forgive all those people? Well, <laughs> that's the point. When we say that Jesus extends his arms on the cross and embraces saints and sinners alike, that's the mystery of Christ's love. It's not that he loves them despite their sinfulness, right? He, he, it's more than that. He's willing to forgive them in his love. If only they ask. If only they ask. Yeah. And that's the struggle in Christian life is to be able to follow in the Lord's footsteps because we all have limits. Well, I shouldn't say we all. We all like to have limits and say, I could love you, but you're, you're a different story. <laughs> right. You definitely rub me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. She's had none of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, that's, the, that's the hardest thing, Excellency, is to forgive, at least for me. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I look at people and I'm like, you know that that bothers me and yet you continue to do that or you know mm-hmm. that that was wrong and yet you still did that to me mm-hmm. and then you know the next week I'm in confession and I'm saying I know that this is wrong and I continue mm-hmm. to do it over and over again mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> in the end I wonder to myself you know the soldiers doing what they did Jesus would not have had the human relationship he had with them as he did with others. Even the religious authorities, he engaged them with three years. I mean, he tried his best to have them see the light and they didn't, but he didn't have that relationship. I must confess, of all the, uh, the vignettes of the passion, the apostles running and Peter betraying him must have had a unique, must have been a unique moment of suffering for the Lord. Because they did know him intimately. Remember, the Gospels record the message of the Lord Jesus that's necessary for our salvation. It does not record every single word Jesus said. Right? Otherwise, he didn't say much in three years. (laughs) (laughs) So even those conversations he had with the apostles that were only for the apostles' sake yeah. as being the foundation of the church, and then they run. So like we talked about a few podcasts ago, it's the wounds, it's the betrayals of the people closest to us that are the hardest to forgive. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting. Is it the passion of the Christ which begins with Satan and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yes tempting him. Mm-hmm. I wonder to myself, from an emotional, spiritual level of suffering, if the greatest suffering was not at the beginning, in the agony of the garden. The physical suffering and the torment and the torture was to come. But the spirit, when the apostles just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, this is such a great reflection in the middle of Holy Week. Uh, what, maybe, um, 
what's your f- final thought as we head into Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter? I think I, I would ask everyone listening to don't to to do not lose the opportunity these days provide to sit in quiet in silence break your routine turn off your television turn off your phone don't go on the internet stop with social media there's nothing that important just sit walk think pray silence and allow the cross to be the focal point of your of your reflection and prayer that would be my advice these days and just let the cross speak back to you that's it the lord will do everything else amen on that note let's uh let's take our final break for today and we'll be back on the other side with a listener question this is let me be frank on the veritas catholic network All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, All right, Excellency, so here's a question uh, that came came in. Um, and, okay, so I'll just read it. Uh, what advice would you have for Catholic business leaders? Well, I think the answer would begin by remembering what a leader is. A leader is someone who has followers, that is, people who will follow his or her example, um, who would follow their attitudes, who would admire their lifestyles. And so I think for Catholic business leaders, the recognition is that there are people who are watching, people who are imitating, people who look to you and will follow your lead. And if you're mindful of that, then my advice is faithfulness, right? In your words, in your example, in the decisions you make, be faithful to what you know is right, what the Lord teaches. And whether you realize it or not, people will follow your example. And that's how you convert the world. Very good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And as we do every week, we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you so much. And um, you're welcome. You're welcome. And listen, happy Triduum, blessed Easter to you, Steve, and to all our listeners. Thank you, and likewise to you too, Excellency. Um, And before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, Heavenly Father, we have meditated on the last words of your Son in the moment of our redemption. Help us to forgive, help us to be merciful, help us to be joyful messengers of salvation that comes in the love of your Son. May this Easter 
the season of hope. Bring hope to all those who are troubled, all those who are suffering, and to ourselves and our loved ones. Bless us in the joy of Easter morning. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Happy Easter, my Amen. friend. Thanks, Don't excellent. eat too much. <laughs> Great. Because I will. Because I will. <laughs> I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency.